we have another animal. We do not work with human or hamster. We work with bovine, porcine, chicken or fish cell lines and these behaving differently. And therefore you have to look each time to what they really need, especially for fish cell lines. The data is not high, especially we still do not have a lot of serum free media available for fish cells and the data is low. So AI is useless. Hey, smart scientists, welcome to another episode on the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast. We're in the middle of a conversation with Bea Talman on the cultivated meat production. And if you haven't listened to part one of our interview, go back and do listen, where we talk about the trends in the industry and the big hurdles to overcome. And we're looking into ways that will enable you to drive down cost. Now in part two of our conversation, we are zooming into the media development itself. We're going to talk about rational media development and how you can adapt adherent cells to a suspension culture. Stay tuned. Are you juggling the complexities of CMC development while trying to enjoy the beauty of biotech? Have you ever wondered if there's a way to simplify bioprocessing? Welcome to the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast, where we're diving headfirst into the very challenges you face. We're breaking it down, demystifying the jargon, and giving you the keys to unlock your full potential. I'm your host, David Brohlman, and I get it. With 15 plus years in the biotech industry, I face the same challenges you do. There's a way to simplify and streamline so you can remove complexity, you can skip trials and errors, deliver without delay your groundbreaking therapy to clinics at market, and still enjoy every single step. Do you want to learn how industry experts and I did it? Grab a cup of coffee and your favorite notebook and pen. Now is the time to take your bioprocessing game to the next level. Let's smarten up biotech. The CEO of Upside Food, Uma Valetti, once said, with time, I believe it's inevitable that we'll get to parity with conventional meat and lower than that. So what I've heard so far, Beat, is that we have two main drivers to bring costs down. It's media and simplifying bioreactors. Is there anything else we can leverage to drive down cost? Again, the right choice of the cell. Simply do not include an additional process within your process. Let's say you have an upscaling and then the differentiation process that's worth a million to simply produce a slurry then incorporate in a plant-based structure. That's the easiest, the cheapest way to go. Also, the maybe the starting entry point for cultivated meat in the supermarkets. Let's say fat, introduce animal fat cells on seitan steak and so on. That's maybe one thing I see. Once we have enough data, we know how to cultivate the cells. All the companies will come, will provide alternatives which are cheaper, then the industry will grow, surely. The pioneers will grow larger and larger, but the smaller companies will start with alternatives, with faster techniques, then the prices will fall. So I would say the market will solve some of the problems as well. So do you think it will become a major market or is it just a bubble and a hype and then it will blow like we've seen in tech, for instance, many years ago? I would say it's achievable. 
this technique will be a future. They will have a future, but in an extent I don't know yet. I would say it's a niche product at the beginning. So my view in the future is that it's a niche product. We have still meat. It's more expensive than meat. We have a lot of plant-based or infused products with plant-based stuff. We have more options, but it will not replace the meat production as we know. We can argue about it, but maybe it's also better for the nature that certain meadows are maintained by cattle, but maybe they also help us donating blood to get serum for later production processes. Maybe it's a mixture of all the different techniques, and I would say it will be in our future, yes, that we will eat cultivated meat, if you want. Let's focus now on the media development, because... If the industry wants to supply large quantities of media, one thing that's essential is to guarantee a consistent quality and to manage the whole supply chain. So now the question I have about this, um, how do we develop rationally a media that makes sense, a media that is cost-effective, a media that is simple enough, and the media that we then will be able to supply in large quantities? At first... You start with the cell and you have to understand the cell. You have a fibroblast, let's say. You know the fibroblasts are growing quite good and you know these amino acids should be inside. And you know maybe the basal medium uh, traditionally was used for growing such cells. Let's, let's say DMEM, simply to have a name in the room. DMEM will be used for this as a starting point and then you iteratively optimize what the cells need. You spend media, for example. You add some amounts of growth factors that the cells steadily grow. Maybe you have already achieved suspension cells. That's even better. Then you have to further understand what the cells need in the different steps of cultivation. It's something else in the lag time. It's something else in the exponential phase. And it's something else in the stationary phase when you achieve. And when they potentially differentiate a little bit or potentially differentiate a lot. So there's a huge shift on the top of the growth curve, but in the exponential phase, this one you want to keep quite long. Therefore, you have to feed the stuff the cells really need in this phase. Therefore, you have to find out what it is using spent media analysis or finding also out which additional components you need by simply adding it by DOE. So once you have intermediate media formulation, you have to go back to the literature and iteratively add stuff in different concentration, in different combinations, and then maybe you have the right formulations. It's not easy, but it's worth at the end because then you have a medium, you have a known content, and you can improve it towards better processes. Depending on the bioreactor you have at the end, it will change a little bit, but that's the beauty. You can go back in one step and make it better for this bioreactor. So why then is a rational media design a game changer? Why is this better than other media development approaches? You could use AI, simply using the whole publications and then mix something together. But a tailor-made approach is necessary for each individual donor, cell type, animal, also grade of mortality. Every cell is totally different. And also, we've seen it for Joe cells. Each clone has another medium. Yes, we have some media available in the market and they are optimized in most 
cases for one clone. But after transfection, for example, to produce a recombinant antibody, it is totally different because you've selected a certain clone. The introduction in the genome has changed the whole organism. And the single-celled clone is simply different to the pool. And that's the same thing here. But we have another animal. We do not work with human or hamster. We work with bovine, porcine, chicken or fish cell lines. And these behaving differently. And therefore, you have to look each time to what they really need. Especially for fish cell lines, the data is not high. Especially, we still do not have a lot of serum free media available for fish cells. And the data is low. So AI is useless because you do not have the big data behind. Therefore, you need these approaches to optimize such processes. Either adherent or suspension, it differs a lot. Now, having done media development myself, I know it's complicated. It's a lengthy process. Beat, can you break it down in a few simple steps, especially um, for those of our scientists listening who are working in a smaller company and don't necessarily have the expertise of media development yet? Is there a simple way to develop a media that gets decent results rather quickly? At the beginning, use the knowledge you have. Use the different media available in the market. I've mentioned DMEM. You have also RPMI. They have other content of phosphate, for example. Maybe your cells need higher phosphate content, but lower amino acid. DMEM have higher amino acid content, but no trace elements. Then you go back to F12, F10, or MCDB. We'll find different components there and then simply at first mix them together. If you want to use, use FCS, but at the beginning, it's okay if you don't use it further. For the first trial to find out the basal medium, the optimal one, you can use it in a limited amount. And then you find our initial medium. Then you go further and optimize growth factor content, which growth factors I really need. BFGF, insulin, I would avoid. I personally, I do not like it. Maybe take IGF-1 or another MAPK, ERK-1 activator, and then it's fine. Even small molecules can be applied or natural products. It's also a hint to use herbal extracts then. If you have the basal medium and the growth factor mix, you can steadily optimize it. You can look at different growth times and see what the cells need in the respective cell density and time of their lives. That's one way to go. And then finally, you have a good starting medium for your process and you can go further making suspension culture, making other stuff, but you have to go back again and optimize it. Smart biotech scientists, here you have a simple yet very effective way to get started and develop a decent media. So take advantage of that. Now, since we have developed the media, what do we need to watch out for when adapting adherent meat cells to a suspension culture? What are the challenges here? One challenge is the type of your cell. Yes, stem cells are beneficial because they are primary and the customer acceptance is high at the end. So because you can tell, hey, it's derived from directly from a biopsy and cultivated in our bioreactor. And finally, it's a steak. That's perfect. Using iPSCs, for example, as a source. So you reprogram your biopsy into an iPSC, induced pluripotent stem cell. Then you differentiate it into different cell types. That's also a possibility, but you have to apply genetic 
technique. I don't say genetically modified because it's not always the case, but you need to apply a technique. And IPSCs are really nice to grow in suspension. Easy medium, easy in suspension. So what's the benefit? You want to have the benefit of an easy process or the acceptance. Then you have the immortalized cells, predominantly in fish cell lines. You can really nicely use immortalized cells because some fishes are growing infinite. They can reach sizes which are massive and grow old. They have the capability to grow the cells. It's quite easy to maintain them if you have the proper medium to adapt to suspension. Once you have the growth, that's the key step. You have to achieve a proper growth. Then you can work on the suspension. What I'm doing, I have a, for each cell line a huge cell bank to experiment. So I make a working cell bank, which is backed by another working cell bank and several master cell banks that I never lose the cell. But the huge working cell bank I have, I simply go back to it. I go back to this cell bank again and make my experiments. So I start with one cryotube directly in suspension. It fails. I go back. I modify my experiment. It works somehow. Some uh, the growth is better. And then I tweak a little bit and then I find out they're not growing anymore after 10 passages. I go back with the new formulations and so on. Steadily, you have an iterative way, but with the starting point at the very beginning. That's really nice to have. And then you can, with the very same working cell bank, you can start your process. So at the end, you have maybe the whole uh, production process on the same working cell bank. And that's really nice to have. So keep this in mind. Make it simple at the beginning. Have the reliable source of cells you have created by yourself or by others. Have the mindset that cells have to grow. So you have to find a way how the cells anyway can grow in suspension. That's the difficulty. You have to mimic ECM or you have to get rid of ECM at all. But the cells need an adaptation after all. So the whole membrane structure has to be reorganized. It takes time. But after you have achieved this, it's so easy. Fantastic. Smart biotech scientists here. You have a recipe to success to develop a cultivated meat process. Now I have another question, Ambert, because there's a lot of things going on in the cultivated meat space. It's exciting, a lot of innovation. How can other fields of biotechnology learn from these advances? At first, cultivated meat companies have learned from others. So as I've said, biopharmaceutical production, they've adapted, let's say, the bioreactors immediately without thinking. It's followed by a learning process, I guess. Also teacher engineering, they've learned a lot because of differentiation of also for IPSCs. They've learned a lot how to differentiate cells. Now, there's not similar movement in tissue engineering. They are still in low scale. Now you want to have large-scale personalized skin tissue. So you get a biopsy from a patient and the patient suffered by he or she is burned and you want to regenerate the skin in three weeks, let's say. It's now then possible by learning from the cultivated meat how to grow fibroblasts and so the other cells separately or together and then reorganize the skin in a proper way. Here I think... From the upscaling in cultivated meat, the others can really learn. Or using other cells for production. Or using personalized cells, for example, for antibody production. If you, with the proper glycolization, 
So we don't use Joe cells anymore, but we have the process so optimized that we simply need a skin tissue from a patient which suffers from a rare disease. And then we can produce the protein of choice in this patient or CAR T is not a thing. There are many different things. So we are benefiting each other. The view on the cultivated meat processes from the side of the biopharmaceutical experts has been always like this. These are producing low-cost products in a process which is extremely expensive that can't work. It was combined with lawfare and whatever. Now, maybe it comes to a point where we learn from each other. And that's really nice thing. Yeah, that's so key to learn and to use the knowledge generated in other parts of the industry. And I'm a big fan of not working in silos, but to exchange, to collaborate. That's definitely a game changer. Beat, give us the number one takeaway from our conversation today. Do you need to know what the customers want? That's the first thing. But what the customers want is not always the thing what is manageable. Look what the customers want, make a list, make surveys, whatever, but then go back and look what's manageable. Use the cell type which is appropriate to achieve cost-effective process. That's the main thing which makes the whole product ready for market. The opportunity for cultivated meat, another take-home message. Don't think of bovine material. Don't think of porcine material. So not the animals we have already in our food system. Let's think, let's think from platypus or a turtle or whale or whatever you see in as an animal around. You can't eat, you can't breed. And maybe in future we are able to use this technology to eat certain cells we are not able to eat. That's an interesting future. But at the beginning, it should be viable for the market. And therefore, choose the right cell line, choose the right product. Definitely exciting and a lot of surprises are coming up. Beat, where can people connect with you? Obvious thing is uh, LinkedIn. Simply PM me on LinkedIn. And here you also find certain information about me or write me an email. I'm happy to help in every way. If you are PhD student, if you have problems, I'm happy to connect with you and give you free support. Anyway, I'm happy to help in any way to make this branch, the industrial branch, viable for the future. I'm going to leave all the information in the show notes and do take advantage of Bert's offer to reach out to him and leverage his expertise so thank you so much Beth, for being on the show today it has been a huge pleasure thank you for inviting me thank you very much all right smart scientists that's all for today on the smart biotech scientist podcast thank you for tuning in and joining us on your journey to bioprocess mastery if you enjoyed this episode please leave a review on apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform by doing so, we can empower more scientists like you. For additional bioprocessing tips, visit us at smartbiotechscientist.com. Stay tuned for more inspiring biotech insights in our next episode. Until then, let's continue to smarten up biotech.